Okay, hi, we're here. Welcome. Okay, I need to come clean with you. I've had like four different types of non-caffeine energy beverages today because I am doing R&D for The Cusp. The Cusp is our private hypebeast secret newsletter community for people who are wellness obsessies. <laughs> so if you're like at all into wellness and well-being, especially like industry inside baseball stuff, that is the spot. Join The Cusp. We do product reviews, honest product reviews, trend reports, really in-depth trend reports. We publish new jobs to the tune of like 30 to 40 new jobs in the wellness space every week. And we also publish wellness news. And it's just like a really fun community of people who are also mm, somewhat neurotic about their wellness products who are trying to be conscious consumers and have very strong opinions about what is the best matcha. And like, those are the people I want to hang out with. I'm sorry. That just is like, I'm slightly neurotic and I have very strong opinions and I'm okay with it. Like, I want to hear more people's very strong opinions <laughs> about their beverages and their face masks and the type of music they like to listen to when they practice yoga. So, oh, oh and like journals. Like, I love a good notebook. I love getting other people's recommendations for notebooks. I'm a Moleskine soft cover, large, like eight by 11 online. That is my jam. Like, it needs to be soft because it has to be kind of floppy. But those are my favorite. So anyways, that's that's the cusp. And I'm writing um, really actually doing like coffee alternatives for the month of April because I, I just dropped a, a note inside the community. I was like, yo, can anyone else not drink coffee anymore? Like, what's your deal? And so many people responded and a ton of people responded and said that they can't drink coffee anymore because their adrenals are shot or their HPA axis, whatever you want to call it. They have HPA axis dysregulation, which is effectively adrenal fatigue. So... That's what we're doing is we're researching the best products and getting feedback from really smart people who are way more expert, like doctors, about whether it's actually good for you or not. And this one that I'm trying is so interesting. Well, I have had like four actual cups of other beverages today. If you join the cusp, you'll learn more about which ones are working or arguably not working because I can't tell if this is, if I'm like hyper-focused or if my brain is just like, it's in its own atmosphere. I don't know. Well, I guess I'll know when this, when I listen back to this recording. Either way, it's useful information. But this other product that I'm trying is specifically for people who have a stimulant not addiction, but dependency and who are weaning them off themselves off stimulants. So stimulants like caffeine, but also like Adderall. And I would assume probably like any other ADHD drug, but I don't know. I'm not a doctor and I didn't make up the product. So don't at me, but you're basically supposed to take it like before you can, you can Google it. It's called recoup. And there's another one that I'm blanking on the name of, but it's similar, but recoup you take before and then you take after you take like a pill before you have the stimulant to like help you not lose your shit. It's very interesting. I will say this is like not cheap. It's like $180, dude. I thought it was going to be, it's like vitamins. And also to, <laughs> my mind is going a thousand miles a minute. When I think about this logically, I'm like, do you really want to pay $180 to like drink a cup of coffee? Like what? what's wrong with you? Like just drink decaf, <laughs> you know? But also I think the point is 
some people want caffeine. And obviously if you have ADHD or ADD and you're on a medication and you're trying to like, you need to, you need it to function. So it's a very interesting product that I'm like sort of fancy about in terms of like usage and like, is this something the world needs? But I'm testing it. So my full review will be inside the cusp and I'll let you know if you should be, if it's worth it. Like don't waste your money yet because I'll tell you what I think about it. So that's coming. I'm going to try and dial it back into why I'm actually here, which is to introduce this podcast with Emily Rousseau. Ding! Emily is our astrologer on call. She's my astrologer life alert. Um, and she's not on the internet really. She, I mean, she's on Substack, but she's not on Instagram, the Instagram internet, the social meds. And I love that about her. And we wanted to talk today. Well, Emily pitched this idea to me about the Saturn return of the internet, which I love because duh, I want to talk about Saturn return, obviously all the time. Love astrology. Also, duh, I want to talk about the internet because we live here now. This is officially where we live. Like we are, we're cyborgs and we have been on, uh, sometimes when I'm on a Zoom call, I've been doing these sessions, these one-on-one sessions with people where I, I do a four hour Zoom call and they're really lovely. But if I ever have to go like over four hours a day, I hit my quota. It's like, I do turn into a robot. I just, I, I like I lose my humanity. It's frightening. This episode's really fun. Em and I talk all over the place and she's so smart. Uh, she's so cool. So I hope you really like it. And just a quick, quick refresher in case you're like, what is Saturn Return? What is this? I loved Return of Saturn, the Gwen Stefani No Doubt album. Like that's, love it. Love Ska. I claim her as a person from Orange County. Like I, I will claim Gwen Stefani. But Saturn Return is what happens. I think we, we actually like sort of bury the lead in this episode and we don't talk about it until like 45 minutes in what an actual Saturn Return is. We just start launched into the topic. But Saturn Return is what happens astrologically every 28, I think, to 31 years. I, it might be 27 to 30. I'm not an astrologer. But I know better than to say astrologist because that's not a word. It's astrologer. It's astrologer. It's Mercury retrograde. There you go. <laughs> Just your little mystical grammar lesson. So a Saturn return happens every 27, 28, 30, 31 years. It's when Saturn makes its full rotation all the way around the sun. Your Saturn, we're sort of tracking Saturn from the day that you're born. And around the time that you're born, I should say, because when you're born, Saturn is in a certain placement in the sky. So if you're going through your Saturn return right now, everyone who's experiencing Saturn return was born in the years, I guess, 1988 to probably like 1991. Your Saturn is in Aquarius. So Saturn just entered Aquarius in January and it exited Capricorn, which is what my Saturn was in. And so everyone who had Saturn Capricorn, who was born in, from like 1989 to probably 1987, we were all like waving goodbye to our Saturn return, the hellhole that is a Saturn return, and like slowly backing out of the room. And our 1990s babies were taking the cake. And now you're in your Saturn return. And it's a period of time where Saturn comes back all the way around. And it's usually a time of review and where you learn some lessons. And Emily talks in much more detail about it and what it means. But just a heads up, it's like traditionally kind of a 
scary time. Like I feel like people talk about it and even I just talked about it in a way of like, oh yeah, it's a gaping hellhole. But it's not. It's not always. It can be easy for some people. Personally, my Saturn return was really easy. Um, my earlier life was like, my earlier 20s were not so easy because I had some Pluto shit going on. But it's a it's a time where you sort of solidify who you are. And your Saturn return happens every 30-ish years. So when you're 30-ish, you know, 27 to 30, when you're 60-ish, when you're 90-ish. So if we're lucky to have more than one Saturn return, we're kind of like reviewing. It's like a life review that we get. So it's interesting to apply Saturn return to something like the internet, which is having its Saturn return right now. And sort of like how that's showing up in context of if the internet were a sentient being, which like I think you probably could argue that it is, um, what that means. What is that reckoning? What is that lesson? What is, what are we learning? What is, and now what is it stepping into in this new iteration of Al Gore's internet? So the World Wide Web is a changing. And we talk about that a lot in this episode, how it might affect you as a mystical, holistical, real person using the internet and using astrology and sort of like what is going on in the energy of, I don't know, the atmospheric energy of this planet. It's just Emily's so smart. So <laughs> I think just listen to the episode for her. Okay. Without further ado, I'm going to, oh, oh, one last thing. Thank you so much for lis- listening to this episode and this podcast. If you like it, rating, reviewing, subscribing, all that stuff makes such a big difference. So if you're not already subscribed, I recommend subscribing because we drop episodes every Friday and sometimes we we drop bonus episodes that are really good. You don't want to miss anything. We give so much value away in this podcast. I just had someone write in and say, I get more out of your free podcast than I get out of my $7,000 intuitive business coach. So I would say maybe go back and listen to some of those episodes because they seem to be fairly valuable to some people if you are curious. But thank you for listening and for sharing with your friends and for rating and reviewing and subscribing. We love when you give us five stars. And we also love hearing your feedback. So if you write us a review, we love that. But we also love when you write into us and tell us more of what you want and also more of what you don't want. It helps us make content for you, which is the point, and content that you love. So thank you, thank you, thank you for sharing this with your friends. It's like weird weirdly really hard to grow a podcast because there's no like algorithm and there's no easy shareable way to like spread podcasts and they don't go viral the same way that like Instagram posts do or anything with an algorithm can so all of our growth has been organic and it's been so cool to see you all sharing it and we are just so grateful so thank you thank you thank you thank you I appreciate you okay with that here's the episode Hi, Emily. Hi, Michelle. <laughs> so today we're talking about Saturn returns, the big, the small, the Saturn return of the internet. It's going to be great. Tell me a story about your Saturn return. <laughs> what did I do during my Saturn return? It was like not really a thing in my mind. I didn't make it a huge deal. I, I wrote a book during my Saturn return. Oh, I didn't make it a huge deal. I just wrote a book. I wrote a book. <laughs> it was, you know, that's, that's what happened. <laughs> I was living in New York. I'm sure I was having day-to-day crises, but you know, I don't really remember. It wasn't like a huge dramatic thing in my in my life in terms of like the doom and gloom we often hear about Saturn returns. 
Yeah, I feel like Saturn returns got a really bad rap, but they're not, they don't have to be bad. I don't, I didn't feel like mine was bad, but I also had a horrible early 20s. So I feel like after <laughs> yeah, like, too, we both had really <laughs> horrible, like, right. It's sort of like everything's fucking relative. And yes. also, it, you know, everyone's Saturn return while they're, while a, a Saturn return, which I'm sure we'll talk about, has like archetypal qualities um, across the board. They're, they're all different because everyone has Saturn in a different place in their own charts and like has a different relationship to time and old age and all of the things that Saturn rules, you know? Indeed. Wait. Yeah. I buried the lead. Let's talk about what a Saturn return is in astrology. Also, I definitely feel like this isn't one of those things kind of like Mercury retrograde or like your sun, moon, and rising that has kind of been like bastardized by uh, the yeah. memification of astrology. So how would you describe a Saturn return from your ancient astrology perspective? Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Michelle, for asking. Also, thanks for having me back. I guess I didn't I didn't offend too much with my <laughs> last <laughs> No, not at all. We love to stir up the drama. I, I, I'm here for it, personally. I mean, me too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> a Saturn return. Okay, so to, let me first tell tell what Saturn is, and then we'll also say what a Saturn return is. Yeah, I'll introduce us to, to Saturn. Yeah. Yeah, I'll try to be succinct. Saturn is a planet and an energy. Uh, it's the farthest planet that we can see with our eyes, technically, you know, not all the time, but we can, we do have visual access to it as a very, very dim light. And so for a long, long time, for, for centuries, you know, we thought that Saturn was the final planet. And then Neptune, Uranus, and Pluto were discovered, you know, 17th. 1700s, 1800s, and then Pluto was discovered, you know, in the 19, just the 20th century. Can you imagine how crazy that would have been to be like, we got him, we got all the planets, and then be like, oh my God, (laughs) (laughs) there's another one. Oh my God, there's another one after that. Like that's, that's crazy. Right. It totally, I mean, this is, I, I think you're so right. And it doesn't get talked about enough because it, it it's mind bending I and mean, it shifts our perspective of not only like quote unquote knowledge or our concept of what we can know as humans, but also boundaries. Yeah. Or the boundaries of our, our the limits of our knowledge or, or our technology, obviously, because certain technology made it possible. The great modern astrologer, Dane Rudyard said that the moment Pluto was discovered, he, he said, the greatest of all known cosmic gongs was being heard, <laughs> which I think is so dramatic <laughs> and great. I love that drama. It's perfect for Pluto. Perfect, perfect Pluto. And then Pluto got demoted, of course, by the astronomers, but it is still a planet to us astro people it's this planet in our hearts for sure planet status so yeah saturn um we can actually make a little analogy here saturn is sort of i I think of saturn as being to the inner planets what pluto is to you know the outer planets or our consciousness because saturn is sort of like Mm. the dweller on the edge you know the farthest out inner planet before we get to those you know, transpersonal planets, or I call them mood makers. They're more, they're, they don't really deal in the day to day. It's more, they make moods because they move so freaking slowly. So like, mm-hmm. they feel more eth- etheric than, than like messing with, uh, if you're going to have a hot date tonight or something. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, the interesting thing about the outer planets is like, 
they are a day to day or they'll, they'll fuck with your hot date. Maybe if, you know, one of the inner planets is making contact with, with an outer planet. So, you know, the sun was, is right now conjunct Pluto, for instance. So that's a heavy, heavy feeling because the sun is such a personal planet that orbits quite quickly. Make sense? Mm. Yeah. I love last time you were on the podcast, you said that Saturn is that is the sort of like looking inside at the, at the inside planets, but also standing at the gate, looking outside beyond and sort of like, is this edge dweller threshold? And I just really liked that perspective of it being sort of like the watcher of, of the others. Yeah. I mean, right. So I like to think of, so all the planets just to get clear are, have certain energies and vibes and agendas just if they're sort of taken hashtag vibes yeah but then as soon as they get dropped into a birth chart a time and a place they get altered right and to fit whatever conditions they're in so saturn in a vacuum you know the sort of saturn capital s energy is that thing of being able to get perspective on the inside and the outside so what's in what's trending and what's not what's you know, who's cast out and who's included or who's canceled and who's beloved for the moment. Mm -hmm. And then also the past and the future, you know, Saturn stands at that gate too. So it's not just that Saturn is structure, right? Saturn rules the bones and the body and the idea of like clock time, you know, time that is passing and does make us age, but also what's to come. So Saturn has a perspective on both, which is why Saturn rules Capricorn and Aquarius. Capricorn's associated with, you know, earthliness and tradition perhaps, and those kinds of containers. And Aquarius is, you know, the future, air, what's what's to come, how we how we wash away the old to make room for the new. Saturn wheels and deals in both of these realms. I have a Saturn Capricorn. I love to work. What about what's your Saturn in? Sagittarius. Oh, oh, she's oh, she's playful. <laughs> As if you didn't know. <laughs> well, that's like my whole thing because I um, I always say that about my workshops or how I like deal with things. I'll say like we're talking about very serious things really playfully. That's how I you know find truth through playing and like experimenting, and I take play very seriously. So that's one way I think Saturn in Sagittarius translates. I love that. So we know Saturn as a vibe. So Saturn return (laughs) is when Saturn makes its full rotation all the way around, right? And it takes anywhere from 27 to 30 years. Yeah. So Saturn spends about two and a half-ish years in each sign. And so, yeah, it takes about 29 and a half years. So it's, so it's not, people will be like, oh, what age does a Saturn return start? And really it's not about what age, it's about what sign so your saturn return begins when saturn enters the sign that it was in when you were born so if saturn was an aquarius when you were born you just started your saturn return because saturn sucks to suck but you're in your saturn return (laughs) dun 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 (laughs) and if you are like me and you were born with saturn capricorn then your Saturn return just ended, although we did have a little bit of like a longer 
Saturn return, right? Because there was a retrograde in there. Yeah, often there are like little blips and previews and retrogrades. So yeah, and also you guys who had your who have your Saturn in Aquarius, you had a preview of what that was like because Saturn was in Aquarius from March to like sometime in the summer this past year. So that was a little, a little in twenty twenty. Yeah. So like when quarantine started. Sorry, guys. That sounds brutal. (laughs) That sounds not that dope. (laughs) During this most troubling of times. (laughs) We have to laugh. I mean, it's like everything's so fucked up, but I'm I'm like happy to be here with you laughing because I'm I'm, oh, I'm always happy to be with you. Yeah. What what is the other option? Just cry constantly. I mean, I can only spend half of my day crying like I can't cry all day. Yeah, just like three quarters. <laughs> yeah, I am Pisces. I can spend a lot of my day crying, but not the whole day. So, so, so we have our Saturn return, and that means we also have it multiple times in our lives. Hopefully, like, yeah. Like, I ideally, mean, if, if we like live, <laughs> we don't get. If we don't have like an atomic World War Three in the next year. Um, ideally, we'll all make it to like our second Saturn return, which would be like somewhere in your sixties, right? Because it's thirty yep. years, thirty-ish years later, and then maybe your nineties. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. My grandfather. Do you want to live to 90? What's up? Do you want to live to 90? I thought you said, do you know anyone who's 90? <laughs> can you hook up? Can you hook me up with them? <laughs> do I want to? Yeah. I'm really into that. I want to live really old. Knock on wood. Mm, you? Cool. No. You're like live fast, die young. <laughs> yeah. Kind of. I like really don't want to outlive Ethan. Like I really don't want to live without him. Oh, that so, is so like, beautiful. Very self- Oh my god! <laughs> so like very sudden. No, but it's horrible because I'm like, I hope I die before him. <laughs> like it's very selfish. Like I don't want to live without him. So. It's very beautiful. Um, it seems very like archetypally uh, like Cancerian. Yeah, and I think that I just feel like that would be the twist of fate. Like he's the person who has the brain tumor and brain cancer, and he would like outlive me, who's run like ultra marathons and has been like this healthy, super healthy person. Not that I'm asking for an early death, knock on wood, but I just feel like that would be, that's how life is. It's funny like that. Yeah. So maybe, yeah. Oh, well, podcast gods, please hear us. (laughs) Yeah. I'd like to make it to like, you know, I'd like to make it to 85, 90, but I don't know if I want to go much, much more than that. Yeah. I have like a lot, I come from like a long line of people like, there's like a, I have like a great grandmother who was super tough and also Virgo like me. And she outlived like, like her husband and like, uh, several of her children. And she was like late 90. That's hard. So hard. So obviously so, so much suffering, but she was like able to find like peace. And I think she's a pretty freaking cool lady from what I hear. So that kind of inspires me. Yeah. My, my mom, on my mom's side of the family, her parents both died like at 50 and 62. So super, my mom's outlived both of her mm. parents. And then my dad's mom and dad are just like old fucking Italian blood, man. They live forever. Everyone lived forever, <laughs> like so long. I know, we and share like, this because we have Italian, my, my dad's family, it's like old Italian blood and it's just like, they keep going and going and going. <laughs> Yeah, you're like, oh, this is going to be the end. No, no, no. Five more years at least, which like is great. It's 
great to have it was great to have my grandparents get into their old age yeah it's a gift I love old people and our society is fucked because and also we have this like another reason it you know we have a weird relationship with Saturn very troubled relationship with not only time but also the elderly because we don't treat our elderly very nicely Mm-mm, we don't and we all become them eventually if we're lucky. So it's so weird that we put it off. It's like the most inevitable thing. Well, we just yeah. kind of, we have like our whole culture has like a youth fetish, you know, we want to stay young, be young. I feel like I was born an old hag. So I, I'm into that. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> my grandfather, interesting fact, not to scare anyone, but my grandfather actually passed away during his, a couple of years ago during his. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, his third Saturn return. Wow. What do you think that means? <laughs> um, Does it mean anything? Interpret that. Um, I don't yeah. know. I mean, it was his time. Break it down for us. <laughs> you know, I will say, like, Capricorn, I think I, I like to talk about my grandfather when I when I think about Saturn and Capricorn because he was a Capricorn and he was very old school in a lot of ways, you know, like old school, traditional Italian, very stubborn but also like really future, really like progressive and like sort of a rebel and like knew what was in, like, like would burn CDs when CDs became available into his was bonkers. But also he had like a home filled with, he collected clocks, which is like how Saturn is that. So, oh my God. Yeah. Like, so we <laughs> just have like all these clocks from him. We're like, what do we do with these clocks? And jukeboxes, you know, like analog technology. Like, I, I, you know, there's something wow. that reveres um, material, material ways of telling time and engaging with memory, I think, in, in, in the Saturn mind, if that makes sense. Yeah. That's, it, it is like keeping the records, mm-hmm. keeping, and, I feel like Saturn, you know, far better than I do, but like Saturn and Capricorn, they want to understand the past so they can understand the future and, and like know where they stand in it versus Aquarius, which is still, you know, obviously has a lot to do with Saturn feels like Aquarius, like just wants to create a new future to me. Yeah. That's an interesting. So I like to think, I, I like to think about it as maybe like triangulate it. So like Saturn has these two homes and is sort of like looking upon them and is more interested in looking back in Capricorn and is more interested in looking forward in Aquarius, but mm. kind of at its best or whatever, or most Saturnine knows that in order to look forward, we have to look back and, it, and any kind of a historical approach to <laughs> like figuring out a future or a present is like pretty much doomed, which I think we're kind of living in a weird era right now that, you know, the end of history is maybe upon us, sadly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it feels like it, doesn't it? Like, Mm -hmm. and I keep, I keep trying to like, you know, sort of placate myself by saying like, well, everyone who's lived through traumatic world events must have felt like this. It must have felt like the end of the world so many times, like the end of history, like the end, like the fall of Rome, the fall of humanity so many times, but we can't be that special that it would be in our lifetime. <laughs> Maybe that's like my, my Saturn Capricorn talking of like, we're not we're that not special. special. Yeah. Like, um, we didn't, we didn't earn the end of like, we don't get to be the final sentence in this chapter or in this book. Like we're not that, I don't yeah. know, exciting or delightful. We are that deli- we are so delightful. You're we're, you and I are very delightful. Um, but I mean, other than us, <laughs> we're also very humble. 
<laughs> well, I will. Okay. Wait, so should we talk? I do have something to say about that, but I, so I think, should I, can I mention the internet Saturn return or is that too quick? Or is that like too quick? No, let's, yeah, let's right, get so into it. One thing I always think individual histories like, and astrologies, it's always tied into collective stuff. So anyone who's having a Saturn return in Aquarius, <laughs> you guys were born, if it's your first Saturn return, when the internet was becoming widely available early 90s, 91 to 94. So that means the internet is having its Saturn return as well. <laughs> so I think- And and wait, we, we didn't talk about what happens in a Saturn return. We've kind of talked oh, about yeah. like what it looks like on paper, but like, <laughs> I feel like we, and probably if you're listening to this, you have a general idea of what Saturn return is, but it might be maybe like a little wrong or the- the, the, the maybe, I don't know, pop culture version of Saturn return. So E, from your perspective, yeah, yeah. what is the Saturn return sort of like look and feel like? What's its, what's its purpose? First of all, maybe we can link to, I just had a flashback. Maybe we can link to at the, in this episode, I didn't, I do like a whole big post on Saturn. You I did. think I included a you playlist did. too, which as I recall. Yeah, we'll link okay. to it. <laughs> so we're linking to that. Yeah. Um, but I said, okay, so I just described Saturn. So you guys probably can already get a sense of what it means or what it feels like when Saturn comes around and it is at the same sort of place that it was when we were born. It's, or it can be a reckoning with one's limitations. It is a time maybe when you're like figuring out what it means to be an adult or what it means to age or enter a next phase in your life. It, it's like a threshold moment, right? So you're probably a time when you're looking to your past and figuring out like what the hell just happened. And also like, well, what do I want the next 29 years to look like or feel like? And what is my relationship to time? How am I spending my time? What structures am I using to like uphold my daily rhythms? What's got to go? You know, Saturn's interested in architecture, building things and demolishing things. So that's, does that explain it? Do you have questions about that, Michelle? Do you want to share about your Saturn return or no? Oh yeah, sure. I feel like my Saturn return, as as we as we sort of alluded to, it was anticlimactic. I was anticlimactic. Like I have this story. I feel like I've told you, Emily, about it. But I ran the Boston Marathon a couple years ago, and there's this thing called the Heartbreak um, Hill, and it's a hill. I don't know which. I can't remember what mile it's on. Maybe like mile 19 or mile 21. A marathon's 26 miles. Anything after mile 19 is really fucking hard to run. It just is like you've been running for a long time. And Heartbreak Hill comes at the later end of the race and it's a hill and it's notorious for being the place where people quit, where they stop running the marathon because it's like exhausting. So it's this big, scary thing that everyone's like, oh, Heartbreak Hill, Heartbreak Hill, blah, 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 blah. And I trained for the marathon here in LA. So like I'd never been to Boston and run that, run the race there. Obviously I didn't really know what I was getting into but I just heard this thing about the hill. So I like would run up the hills of, in Hollywood Hill, the Hollywood Hills, which are super, super steep and not that fun to run. When I finally got to the, to the race to run was going, and I was like the whole time, like, fuck, I don't want to run the hill. Like, ugh, I just hope I can like make it. And, um, I'm on this like slight incline and I'm like, oh man, the hill must be coming soon. Like, fuck, it is definitely coming soon. I have no idea what mile I'm on right now, but it's definitely coming. And I'm like, you know, making my way up this little like sort of like mound and I get to the top of it and I see all these people with signs that say heartbreak hell. And I was like, I'm, I run over to one of them and I'm like, so is heartbreak, when is heartbreak hell? Is it coming up? And the guy's like, 
no, you just did it. <laughs> like you just, it already happened. You're, you made it through. And I feel like that's what my Saturn return was. Like everyone told me like, you better, it's horrible. It's the worst thing ever. And the meantime, I was living like really a traumatic existence for a couple of years of my life. And I feel like I was like learning all these hard lessons. I was like getting my training in and my training was more difficult than my actual Saturn return. So that when I had it, yeah, it was still wasn't like the easiest thing in the world, but it didn't like destroy me on a cellular mm-hmm. level. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? That's beautiful. I remember you telling me that. I love that story. Yeah. So I feel like I guess I started my company at the beginning of Saturn, my Saturn return and like creating that structure for myself of like, I actually don't want to live in a corporate or tech environment anymore. And like sort of muddling through and figuring that out. And eventually I feel like the dust has settled now in the business where I'm really clear on what my boundaries are and what I want to make and create in the world. And, and hopefully it's just smooth sailing from here. But I don't know. You would know better than I do because you read my chart every every three months. <laughs> it's smooth sailing. It's all it's, it's all great. Great. It's all easy. It's all no more heartbreak hill. Um, yeah. <laughs> I like that you well, even like the marathon, it's a metaphor and or training or whatever, I think are good metaphors for Saturn because Saturn is so slow, you know, it moves, it takes mm-hmm. 29 years to orbit the sun. So in a culture that's really interested in quickness, you know, and speed, no matter what Saturn isn't really going to be doing that. It's slow and it's sort of, I don't, you know, it's not glamorous, right? Like it's not super bright and shiny. It's called, it's was known in ancient astrology as like the, you know, like the dim one. It's sort of the dimmer switch. Like if you see, you can, there are like moments, there have been moments where we can see Saturn and it's so dim. It's like this, this sort of way out there light. So it's, it, I think that it, it makes sense that one Saturn return would feel kind of like slow and like a training process instead of sort of this giant firework display. And, and I think that Saturn asks us to like pay attention and also to get subtle. I do think Saturn is like funny and dark and interesting and like weird and wild, but you have to try to like lean in and see it and because it's not going to, you know, make a big um, show of itself. Yeah. It reminds me of a person at a party. I, you know, that I love to personify planets, even though I know I'm not supposed to, Um, it reminds me of a person. I don't know. I just feel like it doesn't do them justice. (laughs) That's true. Like they're the person at the party. Who's like, kind of got the wry sense of humor or dry sense of humor and like maybe is pretty sarcastic and a little bit scary. Like if you just took them at surface level or like your first impression, you would really be missing out on probably the most enjoyable part of the party, which is like them making fun of other people (laughs) next to you and like (laughs) letting you in on it. You know what I mean? When we used to party, that was fun. Oh yeah. Remember parties? Yeah. I remember being an introvert at parties. I mean, so no, I'm, I'm, <laughs> is I'm that, good. that's actually like, <laughs> I like you're so what are you like you're you're just like in the corner or like do you find one person yeah. and talk to them? I, I both. I am in the corner talking to one person, <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm like, don't leave me. Oh don't my leave god! Me. But if you do, go get cheese. So you don't flitter around? Back. <laughs> no, absolutely not. No, 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 no. I'm no. a flitter. No. I flit. Absolutely. Oh yeah, of course you are. That's not me. That's not for me. But at I all. burn out quick, yeah. I guess, because I'm Aries rising. Like I'll like flit around and like be like really giddy and talking to all these people. And then I'm like, all right, can we go? I'm like really fucking tired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not, no, I'm not that. And like we 
Ethan is very much like you. Mm. He's like, loves to, he is the butterfly king. He is just all over. And when we used to have people at our house, we'd do Shabbat every Friday night. I would be like the one in the kitchen cooking, like sort of posted up there in the more quiet area. But like, I've got longevity. It must be that marathon. Oh man, yeah, you like, stay. You like, I can just imagine. Yeah. That's yeah. how Michael yeah. is too. My partner, he, well, you guys have like the same fucking chart, but for another day. <laughs> I was going to say, we're, this, we're very <laughs> crazy. <similar>. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he just stayed. Like, Which is why you're in love with me. Yeah. Right? Oh yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> and also like he doesn't leave and it drives me nuts. Like if we're at a party or like back when parties existed, I would be like, okay, like, are you ready yet? And he, he would like just sleep over. Every, like, I'm, I'm like, I need to go home. Like I'm done. I, I've socialized for 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You and Ethan are super similar. It's always Ethan's idea to hang out with people. And then he's like, can we go? And I'm like, I just, I just started talking to this person. Like I, I'm just finally getting comfortable. Like, no, now people are laughing at my jokes. Like these two people are laughing at me. Like this is, let me have this. And Ethan's a Virgo. So there you go. Crazy. We are, we are a couple Couple of couples couples. with similar charts. Across the country staring at each other. (laughs) Anyway, that was a segue, but let's talk about now that we kind of know what Saturn return can feel like and can sort of look like. I I think like it gets dramatized a bit to be like your entire world will come crashing down. Everything you think you understand about structures and why you're here comes into question. And like, if you don't pass your tests in your Saturn return, then you're going to have the worst 30 years of your life. People say that shit. That's so annoying. A hundred, I a hundred percent have heard people say that. I'm like that. What? What What tests? What are these tests? Right. Right. Who's sending tests? Nobody. There's no tests. No tests. Tests aren't, tests aren't real. Tests are not a thing. Stop trying to make tests a thing. They're not going to happen. Oh my God. That is gross. Yeah. You can't like do life wrong. You're just doing. And like you can change the trajectory whenever you want and you can decide to be more like, I don't know, introspective if you choose, but you also don't have to be. doesn't mean that it's a waste of your life. Yeah. I don't know. I'll get off my soapbox. Yeah. I mean, but I think anything else freak about- out about Saturn because not because it's quote unquote and I think I touched on this in the last episode, like a, a bad, like it's not that it's, it's not that Saturn is bad and Jupiter is good, but Saturn is contractive and Jupiter is expansive. So Saturn, Saturn tries to make harmony through contracting and, you know, checking, checking our egos or whatever we feel like growth is, you know, so generally as humans, we don't really like to be like checked like that or feel like contracted or restricted or like we're limited. So I think that that's why it's sort of perceived as negative or freaky or scary, especially in these times. Well, in general, you know, it's like weird to be reminded. It's like, it's like scary to be reminded that we're going to die, which is what Saturn likes to do to be like you who, and not in like a scary way, but just like, Hey, things change time time changes things yeah that's such a good point the expansive versus contractiveness I was reading something about brainstorming and like design design thinking and brainstorming and design thinking uh which I feel like is also like super close to just like making art and improvising and we often 
exist in the worst place when we're brainstorming Mm -hmm. of being like wanting to be expansive, but also being super judgmental of ourselves and afraid. So we like are middling the entire time. So our brainstorming sessions actually super suck and like nothing good comes out of them. And we need to, we don't need to, but it would be better if we could break our brainstorming sessions into the expansive session where you're just like, let's throw everything at the wall and like, just try it all. And then to have a more like editing, fine tuning phase where you are a little bit more like, "Mm, actually, let's cut this back. But we're so, I was listening to someone teach this and he said, as soon as we start to cut away, as soon as we start to contract, we, we run into fear because we are worried, worried about being judged or worried that we're looking stupid. And that's why things are getting like, why we're cutting things down. And if you're operating from fear, nothing's going to be good. We have to like not associate fear with contraction or with the editing process and instead like embrace it as part of, as a necessary part of expansion, which I feel like you say a lot, contraction and expansion are just two sides of the same coin. Yeah. Beautiful. I love that. (laughs) I mean, yeah, it's almost, it's so omnipresent because even if whatever, like building a garden, it's the same thing. You have to like weed and clear space. There's some amount of destruction that happens when you're trying to grow. And yeah, Saturn is that force that, you know, can weed things out. Yeah, I like Saturn as editor. That's cool. Usually I say like Virgo's the archetypal editor of the Zodiac, but kind of Saturn is too, mm-hmm. because it cuts away and it's like that, that force that, wait, uh, maybe you should go back, you know, and like double check what you've just done. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's so interesting because that can be intuition. You should go back and check that thing. Or it can be anxiety. You should go back and check that thing because you might light your house on fire because, and then your dog will explode if you left that thing on, which is the type of anxiety that I have. Which oh my God, me too. I was just thinking that this morning. Right. right. But I'm like, I didn't even light. I haven't, I haven't used my stove in like three years. Like, no, that's not, that couldn't possibly be right. But there's also sometimes that ping of intuition where you're like, oh, I should double check that this meeting is happening. Or like, I should make sure that I got the trademark on that thing. Because if it didn't, then that would be a bummer. And then you're right. It's so, I like thinking about the, the, the spaciousness there. Yeah. The range. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Fear. There's something in Saturn about fear being um, like an interesting place, like an, like a teacher, you know, mm-hmm. to, to sort of like lean into the fear instead of freak out and start sprinting away from it. Yeah. I mean, oh, Saturn. I love Saturn. I don't know. I love all the planets, but I feel like I've been talking about Saturn for like for a year straight because Saturn, you know, can join Pluto almost one, exactly right. one year ago. So we're in very yeah. Saturn, Saturn heavy times. Like even right now, post Saturn Jupiter conjunction, Jupiter has been and will be for this whole next year in the house of Saturn. So Saturn is sort of like calling the shots for for Jupiter, our other social planet. So yeah, we're all sort of being Saturned up. So it's not just the people who are Saturn returning, although that's like, you know, doubly so. But it, it's a Saturn time for all of us. So it's like now is a great time to figure out your relationship with time. I mean, I say it like I'm a broken record, but time and how the internet and digital mediums have changed our relationship to time and space because they do. And it can alter a lot as we're seeing from, I think, recent events. And 
Totally. Okay. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit now that we know what a Saturn return <laughs> is about the Saturn return of the internet, because I feel like that will actually also be helpful to anyone who's having a hard time, like planting this in the ground and conceptualizing it beyond theory. So the internet's going through its Saturn return. Mm-hmm. Can you feel it? <laughs> Shit, man. Yeah. I mean, yes, I could talk about this forever as a tech person who loves who loves all the platforms and all the software and loves to see innovation in the space, but also, yeah, I can feel it. It's interesting that the quickenings of the Saturn of Saturn return of the internet have been happening since 2010, right? So like a little precursor of when Facebook and Instagram sort of like came into their own. And now tw- 10 years later, we're seeing like a reckoning happening on so many different planes, I feel like from like the government trying to understand how to regulate these brand new systems that like there weren't any rules or laws in place because no one had even been able to conceptualize how the, the, how far they could possibly reach and how much they could possibly change. And we have been, it's almost like this like flesh eating disease, like the way that the, we, we live with the internet now of like, it is everywhere, it's omnipresent and we can't escape it because it is us. And we also like can't stand it or it's like a cancer. <laughs> feels like feels like the only medicine is to basically like almost kill yourself because that's what like chemotherapy or radiation is, right? It's like killing the parts of you and hoping that like your body will survive and that, that you did enough to like kill off the cancer and to like continue on for another day. But like often that doesn't work. And I feel like that's what we're in right now, but I'll stop waxing poetic about it. Uh, that was a little dramatic. Uh, dark, <laughs> dark shit, um, dark matter. My, my Scorpio moon's coming out to play. Yes, hi, hi Scorpio. So, all right, I mean, yeah, the social media is one whole shit show. I guess I've been, so I've been thinking about obviously the early 90s, because that's when the the internet became what more widely available. But also, I've been going back to like, the 80s, because the 80s were the decade when handheld electronics became really pervasive. And, you know, at the beginning of the 80s, it was like, people were just starting to like have microwaves in their homes and like phones were changing. And then at the end of the eighties, it was like, holy shit, like here's the internet, you know? (laughs) So, so much changed in this time. And it's really strange because I feel like, and this is another, I'm sort of like being trying to like embody Saturn or whatever. I'm looking back in order to kind of get an understanding of where we are now, but which is what we're doing in this class on Saturday that I'm teaching. But It was such a conservative time in America and in other countries too, but like Ronald Reagan was president for the entire eighties almost. And in a lot of ways, you know, we, but we were also sort of like all these technological advances were happening. It was like threat of nuclear war, space, like space travel. And at the same time, we had this very conservative president. We, it was sort of like, in in terms of popular culture, a really conservative time too. like looking back on the 50s and kind of like having nostalgia for this really, Mm -hmm. you know, quote unquote, family values, like pre 60s era, almost as if the 60s never happened. So the 80s were a real mindfuck in a lot of ways. And then like at the beginning of the 80s, MTV happened. Right. (laughs) So it's like all of a sudden, every like our perception of sort of, you know, music is changing. I feel like so much changed 
in that decade that we're now kind of maybe, and this is just like, I'm not a historian, but like perhaps reckoning with now in real ways. Like I think in a lot of, in some ways, Ronald Reagan might've paved the way for Donald Trump. You know, they called Reagan an entertainer in chief. He was an actor and, you know, yeah, he had like more political experience than Donald Trump. Like that's not hard, but he famously was just sort of like an entertainer and people thought he was like congenial and like handsome or whatever. And he looked presidential. Yeah. Yeah. Really scary. Like he won by like a landslide. So I don't know. I've been thinking about this because like, and also this is like, if we're being sadder and like all that shit was going on in the mainstream and then like punk was sort of brewing in the underground as partly perhaps a response to how fucked up policies were and how, racist the world is was and blah 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 is was uh so i don't know yeah and prep culture on the other side of that too like yuppies yeah the era of yuppies yuppies, like all of that and it like coming to a head together at this like just yeah like battering rams yeah (laughs) right and so like yeah, like behind the scenes, all this stuff too technologically was happening. Like in the 70s, ARPA, which then I think started to be known as DARPA, the Department of, I forget what it stands for. You know what I mean? The, the, the government basically was creating all of these little networks that would eventually become the internet. And it was formed in a response to Sputnik, to the Soviet Union launching Sputnik. They were like, we have to keep up <laughs> with the Soviets. Mm. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. So that happened. And then that was whatever they were building that. And then so the Internet technically has been around since the 70s, but the public gained access in 1991 via the World Wide Web. You probably knew that, but that's like my. Yeah. I just was thinking about how the Internet was formed out of an inferiority complex. And like that's so in the pattern, like in the DNA of how we use the Internet today. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. Another mindfuck. I mean, the internet is is a strange thing. And it's I think it's in line with this like Aquarius vibe and the fact that the internet was made public when Saturn was in Aquarius. It's very airy, you know, it's sort of everywhere, nowhere, even though underground, there are these huge networks of interconnected physical uh, matter that the internet comes from, but we don't see it. So that, that sort of sounds familiar. That sounds like the nuclear, that sounds like the cold war and nuclear threats, right? It's sort of like everywhere, nowhere, this kind of airy mindfuck. Yeah. It also, I mean, like there's so many memes going around right now on TikTok of like, I don't know what's in the vaccine, but that doesn't mean that I'm not going to take it. Like, I don't know how the internet works. I don't know how to explain how Wi-Fi works, but it fucking works. So Whoa. like, I'm not like, oh, I can't use Wi-Fi because I don't understand how it works. Whoa, that's, that's interesting. So... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's very, we we are so dependent on, so we. I mean, think about how many Americans don't understand how the government works or don't understand how the president gets elected. And like, there are so many things that we should that we use on on a day-to-day basis that we just don't even understand. We just like take them at face value as like, oh yeah, my Wi-Fi's on and I'm in range. <laughs> like, what does that even mean? Right, you know? Right. That's so crazy. Like just not that this is some like I don't believe in the 5G conspiracy or anything like that. That is so not what I'm saying. I'm just saying there are so many things in our lives that we just take for granted as uh existing. 
And we don't even think beyond like, how does this thing work or like come Correct. to be? And I think like by actually asking, how does this thing work and doing research and like, not only how does it work technologically, but what is the history of this, which is like kind of what we're talking about right now that fights against things like 5G conspiracies and these terrible, <laughs> you know, black holes of the internet. QAnon. Yes, exactly. And, and it's so interesting that the response for so many people who are have been looped into the QAnon conspiracy cult is do your research. That's their response to people who are saying, this is bananas. This None of this is logical or makes mm-hmm. sense. And it's actually, it's clearly an outright conspiracy. Yeah, their response. <laughs> that, their, right. that their retort so that- is do your research. It's like, well, right. It's like this crazy thing where we have this amazing whatever capability to like Google anything we want and the world is at our fingertips. But then it's like, well, there, it does seem like a sort of weird recipe for that kind of uh, terribly horrifying thing. Like what is knowledge? Because Mm -hmm. I mean, we could like, I mean, this is like a whole big discussion, but obviously the algorithm has a lot, has a lot to do with this too, because people see you know, more and more and more of what they click on. So it's like, it's basically like ripe for rabbit holes, the way the internet is set up. Mm -hmm. So I think questions in terms of the internet Saturn return is like, well, okay, (laughs) how did this start? What were its initial promises? What are its, you know, how is it benefiting us? And how is it, what are its limitations? And what are we sort of like disillusioned by? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. And I think, I, I think that we're also seeing things that are a couple of things that are coming up in response to that. I think just the questioning of like, wow, what is ethical in this space? Like we have to create a set of ethics around it and who is responsible for creating those ethics? Is there a moral code that we all can agree to and follow? Clearly not. And so then who is in charge of the internet? <laughs> is it our US government? Is it some global shaper? Who Who is it? Uh, is it the elites is it academia is it it's certainly the technocratic and well it's a it, we are living in a bit of a technocratic hellscape and um so it is really frightening because yeah what you say about ethics like i think you know we talked about this in last podcast a little bit but jupiter is ethics and morals and belief systems and jupiter has been in its fall for the past year and it's still in a pretty rough spot it's not super stoked in aquarius although it can it's a little bit more optimistic. So I I do think we're seeing that reflected in our collective consciousness because it's like ethical dilemmas, like, like the way that people, even just as simple as like the way that people speak to each other or speak about one another on social media is so bonkers, batshit crazy. Like imagine if we spoke to each other like that in real life. Well, yeah, we we wouldn't. And in response to that, there's this interesting new app called Clubhouse. Have you heard of it? I just heard of it. I do not know. I don't know much about it, but I just heard of it. Oh, I'll invite you if you want an invite to it. But Ethan's been playing around on it for the last couple months. And I was super hesitant. I was like, I don't need any more. I don't need any more apps. I don't need any more social media. I don't want distractions. Like, I already hate it here. Like I hate, I hate Instagram. I hate Facebook. I don't want to be on more things. I just want to do my work and like be alive. Yeah. But it's this platform where there are no photos. It's only people talking to each other in rooms. 
and it's not stored anywhere. So you can't record the conversations. So they're happening in real time. It's almost as if we were doing this podcast. It's like a radio broadcast, basically, but anyone can join. And so anyone can come up and become a speaker and have a conversation or, or get kicked out of the speaker's box. And thousands and thousands of people can listen to you, to your friends, and you can talk about anything you want. It can be super off the cuff. It can be a little more scripted. But I find it interesting as sort of this rebound. It also has been invested like Andreessen Horowitz, which is a huge venture, com- venture capital investor. They've invested a ton of money into it. So it's not, it's certainly not a paragon of ethics and morals and like trying to undo the wrongs that Facebook and Instagram have created. If anything, they're probably just trying to create a new version of Facebook and Instagram Mm -hmm. that they can control because Facebook basically has a monopoly on ads alongside Google. That's another conversation that we could totally, we could have another time if we want to get really boring, but it's interesting that this is, it's so different and it is actually truly people talking to each other and saying some things that like, maybe you would be surprised to hear them say to each other, but really like coming to resolution and also something that is a phenomenon that I've witnessed is conversations that go on for hours conversations that go on for like three hours that people are listening to sort of in the background, or maybe they're present to, as opposed to these micro movements or responses that we have on Mm -hmm. Instagram, where we hop on for 30 seconds and scroll, 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 and then check our feed and then leave. And then 15 minutes later, jump back in, we scroll, 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 or we're doing something else. So I, I feel like that's part of this Saturn return of like this restructuring and reprioritizing and trying new things. And maybe like in the process, we'll break these other systems that have sort of overpowered us. Yeah. Interesting about Clubhouse. Yeah, I agree. I think that we'll probably see more of the, of the, like like alternatives to existing yeah modes. And also, I mean, the internet... <laughs> was, you know, created in part, or at least like the, you know, social part of the internet, the emailing, if you will, and um, AOL, remember AOL? <laughs> oh, TBT. Right? I miss chat rooms. Oh my God, AIM I was like Messenger, well. like your crush is the way message yeah. was everything. Oh my God. It was everything. Oh, <laughs> yeah, like I need a coffee table book of away messages and like the fo- the fonts and the formatting of people's AIM away messages. Wait, does that exist? That would be amazing. No, oh but my we God, should yeah, make it. Yeah, that I would, would be I would incredible. That. That's a great. Ah, my favorite was when people would put like secret messages in their away messages. Yeah. Fuck, that was the best. Anyways, yes, AOL. Um, AOL, blah blah blah. Um, what am I? Ta- what am I talking about? I'm just like I'm just like reminiscing my own technological upbringing. Um, oh, I know. <laughs> so it's it was meant to be, you know, people communicating with people, but obviously it's people communicating with people like we're doing right now through machines. And so no matter what medium you're, whatever, no matter what app you're on, it's always via a machine and we feel I feel like this is very easy to forget because it's such a pervasive part of our Mm -hmm. lives now so I think one thing I've been thinking about and one maybe Saturn return internet question is like how do these machines and also the apps that we use on them mediate our communication between humans like they're not neutral Mm -hmm. there's always some mediation flavor or component not only you know the history of them how they might you know, change the way we're interacting. Like, you know, I'm catching glimpses of myself in the 
mirror, right? Or that zoom mirror, whatever it is, you know? Mm -hmm. So the, I feel like that's really, yeah, we just need sort of critical analyses of these, of these structures because, and also ethics, as you say, because that's what keeps us from jumping on bandwagons, which is to me, what was so frightening about social media when I was on it, like witnessing people just sort of doing things in waves because that's what they were supposed to do because otherwise what, you know, they were bad people or so or whatever, you know, I don't, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when we have our own sets of ethics or like rules around how we interact with other people on these mediums and also just like how we think about them, like philosophies, like do, do you have like a critical analysis of Instagram or how you interact with it or whatever? And it doesn't have to be like a thesis statement, but just like some kind of feeling about it or research behind it. Because if not, it's probably going to feel like a crazy mindfuck wild west. Totally. And also like knowing that you have fallibility in terms of your relationships to these pieces of technology, because they are literally messing with your serotonin levels and your dopamine like all day long and your, your psychology. And it's interesting that not interesting. It's really fucking scary that how about how many people have hopped on the QAnon train especially in the cons- conspirituality space, mm-hmm. conspiracy theory theorists who are existing as wellness people and leaders. And I'm watching so many of them, so many people who are desperate to be influencers and desperate to be famous and desperate to have followers who have leaned so much into conspiracy theories during COVID-19 um, and have gained quite a following because of it. And it is obvious, at least to me from where I sit, that the only reason that they're perpetuating that stuff is because it's getting them followers and likes. Like, I don't know if they necessarily, maybe they genuinely believe it in their heart of hearts, but there's something really sick and twisted about just like uh, basically wanting to create destruction and, and rise and because it benefits you, like watching the world, like lighting the world on fire and like watching it burn to keep yourself warm. That just is so like, it's sickening to see that the, and to see how easily the, um, the internet can be a a tool or a mechanism of those actions. Mm, Frightening. Yeah. I don't, I don't know about, I haven't, I mean, I I do know that I do know that there's a lot of crossover between the quote wellness world or spiritual world and QAnon, which is really frightening. I mean, and I guess more and more crossover between the QAnon world and every world freakily because it's yeah. growing it seems or at least it's getting more I'm not sure that Q shaman it being like the most dramatic example of right now oh my gosh you know I wrote an email about that for holisticism yes. saying that you know you can't be first off a white person who's a self-professed shaman that's not you can't <laughs> do that you also like can't just like go to shaman school and become a shaman you even the, the term shaman is like a traditional Siberian uh, spirit person, medicine person. Yeah. And even that term has been appropriated from them and taken by other cultures. But like, there are no such thing as white people who are shamans, unless you like have created some 20 year relationship with an indigenous culture and they, and they fold you in and give you an honorary title. So like that first, I, I said something along the lines of like, super problematic. Also like literally marching next to literal Nazis. And the number of fucking ratchet emails I got from people was 
bananas. I felt like, you know, <laughs> oh my God. Like, yeah, I was going to ask you because I saw that thing and I was, I don't know if I responded, but I, in my heart, I was like, thank you, Michelle, for like sending this. But I was like, I fucking wonder if people gave her shit. You know, I am pretty like, obviously we have a, a podcast called the 12th house where we just like reveal what's, what's up. So I'm like pretty open about what my beliefs are and you don't have to hold, hold the same beliefs that I do in order to have a conversation with me, but I'm, I'm sharing my worldview in our newsletter and, and through the work that I do at Holisticism. So people are like, I, I, I weeded out a lot of those types of people early in the election, but you know, they, they sometimes they linger. And they're like sort of divisive, like kind of mean emails, not just like, Hey, let's talk about this. Oh. No, no, no. They're the rudest, the rudest, meanest emails, uh, which like is totally fine. I just delete them. <laughs> like I don't, I don't owe anybody any response, but it's really interesting to see that like spark up in people. Yeah. I mean, many things to say. First of all, what you said before with, about the person or the people who are sort of desperate to be in- influencers. And so they lean into these conspiracy theories because they're trending in some weird universe or whatever that first I mean the one frightening thing is that obviously they probably don't think they're doing anything wrong or whatever you know it's like just oh maybe you know living my life but we're so obsessed as a kind of culture right of being visible and being seen Mm -hmm. and and fame or whatever it means something totally different now it's not we're like beyond the Andy Warhol everyone will be famous for 15 minutes like we're always in the 15 minutes because the internet is always on and it's very exhausting um the the scroll and the you know social media makes all of us into and the internet in general I guess in some ways into PR people for ourselves which is Mm -hmm. quite I don't even know what to say about it. I don't know. It's so fucking depressing that it makes me very sad because at at what point, I mean, not, you know, like putting a pin in the QAnon thing for a second. It's just like, we, how do we know what art is or what critical thinking is or what information is or history when first and foremost there, it's like a promotional mechanism, right? Which is what the platforms are built on, you know, obviously the algorithmic weirdness, but then when, when we're doing things strictly to get more followers or to get more visibility that are ethically, you know, murky or conspiratorial, like, what is that saying? Like, I don't even know what to say about that. It's just such a huge mind fuck. Yeah, it is. And it strikes me that this is not like a new phenomenon, right? Like there are probably people having these conversations 50, 100 years ago talking about like, well, what is art, right? Is that person who's making, oh, they're making moving pictures. Like that's not art. That's not photography. That's just like to make money or whatever it might be. Or people writing, I don't know, writing fiction or or writing books. Like what is a true expression of who we are versus a ploy to get attention and like adoration and capitalization from other people? Like, can we ever be discerning and can't everything sort of in some way be a tool to to work towards either, either truth or not to get super philosophical, either truth or like, I don't know, like the obstruction of truth. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I do think these questions have always been around, but I think now they're rapid fire at us because we have more access to each other than ever. Yeah. 
That's true. We don't get time to like sit and think. We don't get time to make a decision for ourselves because we have to be in response. There's an expectation that we are constantly in response to everyone else who's on on the internet and everyone's on Mm. all the time. Right, it doesn't turn off, yeah. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) So it's up to us to like, I mean, it is a structural problem and we have to like figure it out together, but it's also like we have to take care of, I mean, that's partly why I left. I was like, I, I, I think privacy is really important and I think, not being seen is like, <laughs> uh, it used to be regular, but now, now it's like weird if you're not on social media. Totally. Even think about quarantine. If you're, if you're quarantine, quarantining with a person, my partner used to go on business trips once a month where I'd have the house to myself for like four days and I could just like do whatever the fuck I wanted to and fart in public and like not be embarrassed. And I miss that, you know? <laughs> right, right, right. Also, not only us being visible to other people, but also the amount of people that are on our feet or whatever that we scroll through. I mean, just the very simple question of like, what does it mean to follow someone? What does it mean to be followed? What does right. it mean to be friends with someone online or to click like? I mean, we take these things for granted, but it's sort of, it's interesting when you start to ask yourself like, well, <laughs> what does that mean? I mean, and I understand it's like, a, it's, you know, I'm not, I'm not like anti-internet or anti-social media. Like, that we are in a weird place where we all kind of, that's our economy now. Um, yeah. We're like post industry. <laughs> so I don't know, like, I don't really know what to say yeah. about it. Cause I, I don't like fault people for being on there and I don't judge myself for going on there. I just, it's just a big question mark. Like where, what is happening? <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like, cap- it feels like capitalism to me not to bring everything back to capitalism, but like we exist within this structure and we can try to divest from it in as many ways as we possibly can. But at the end of the day, if we want to live in society, then we have to opt into some of it. We have to participate in, in some of it, even if it's antithetical to our beliefs. We can't, we can't dismantle it and, unless we have some sort of power, we have some sort of like toehold inside of it. Same thing with the internet. Not that we want to dismantle the internet, but just like, change the way that maybe, I don't know. So wait, so do you think that it's going to become clear in the next two years what the new trajectory of the internet will be? I think so. I mean, I don't know. I don't know about clear, like cut and dry and done, (laughs) but I do think, I do think something will happen. Yeah. I do think the internet, I mean, I I don't know. I wish, I wish I could like crystal ball it more, but I, I do think the way that we interact with the internet and our conceptions of digital space will be different. I don't know if that will be for better or worse. I'm like very cautiously optimistic in terms of, um, I don't know. I don't know, man. I'm worried. Yeah, I am (laughs) worried. (laughs) But I just, I I think think if you, I think the thing that I try to do when I teach and the thing that I try to do like as an astrologer, whatever, my set of ethics and how I, how I try to get by and the thing that makes me feel hopeful is like looking at things for a second before you like jump on a bandwagon or join a team looking at things critically and from a sort of healthy distance which is what Saturn does to bring it back to Saturn um so looking to the past doing some kind of real research what happened in history what is my relationship to these things what do I believe in and trying to really take like a look at that before jumping on a bandwagon or 
or saying or liking something or disliking something. I mean, I think that's what we're missing on these social media platforms. Do you feel that? Mm-hmm. Totally. I was literally just talking to my therapist about this today, about when I'm like driven by urgency, I make bad choices. And I also feel like crazy and frenetic. And like, I'm like someone else is like driving the car at like 150 miles an hour and it's super dangerous. And when I give myself even like a night to sleep on an idea or to sleep on my perspective or to make my choice, I wake up so much clearer and with way more equanimity Mm -hmm. than when I'm reacting just like in the moment. And I think that in this day and age, it's very difficult to balance those two things because there are people who are trying to understand and gauge their level of safety in the world. If we're thinking about people of color, people who experience like sites of oppression or marginalization, they're trying to understand who is safe and what is safe for them, the spaces that are safe for them. And like, I think that if we hold privilege, especially as white people, we want to be quick to be like, of course you're safe here. Of course, like there's a space for you here. And it makes sense that they, that we would have people demanding on the internet, like say exactly what you think and what you mean about this thing that happened 15 minutes ago. Like, what are your thoughts right now? Um, In order to gauge their level of safety of like, well, do we agree? Are we in the same boat? This is so clearly wrong from my perspective. If you could possibly even think that the, that it isn't wrong, then we can't be friends or like that we shouldn't, we shouldn't get along or I'm not safe around mm-hmm. you. So I get that. And also we are all in a trauma response. It feels like in 2020, especially we've just been in a perpetual trauma response to what's happening around us. And that is it's not a healthy place to make major decisions around. And for me, my internal compass, when I'm like in my trauma or when I'm having like a super emotional response, my internal compass gets a little turned around and I just need some, a a second, some spaciousness and we deserve spaciousness and rest and privacy to make up our minds and also to change our minds if we want to. 100%. Yeah. I love that you said that. Yeah, we are. I mean, we're in a time where like, right. I mean, all this crazy shit is happening and America was founded by white supremacists. So, and it still is a white supremacist place. So it's sort of, I think the internet has a way of like bringing that out or like showing, you know, it's like showing its true colors, which is very frightening and terrifying. Mm -hmm. And I think also, as we were talking about before, like it does increase the trauma trauma response, as you say, and um, because the digital sphere collapses, and I can't stress this enough, like it really does collapse time and space, like scrolling Mm -hmm. the smooth space of the digital ether, as Mark Fisher calls it, you know, it, it changes our brains and it makes us feel like these very, very urgent things. They are urgent, but I do think it makes us feel like they're somehow like, yeah, living in our body as something that we have to like do, uh, respond to frenetically and in a way that might Mm -hmm. do do damage to us or just the way that we like live our lives. And so there is danger there. Yeah. Yeah. So that's Saturn too, like thinking about the difference even between like analog and digital mediums, physical, physical, you know, rewind, fast forward, 
whatever the 80s VCR vibe versus now where everything's in the cloud. It's very different. And our nervous systems, I don't think are, how could they be adjusted? You know, it's so much. How could they even, it wasn't that long ago that we didn't have iPhones, you know, like we, where we were, we were constantly connected to a computer. Like it wasn't that long ago. How could we possibly evolve and adapt to it truly being another limb for, for so many people who literally sleep, eat, shower, pee with their phone, have sex with their phone, basically, uh, <laughs> if you're watching porn on it. Right. Like, it is everything to us. It's 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 crazy. Yeah. Um, we do, Like you said, like, I mean, it's interesting when you were like, we deserve spaciousness or time. Or, yeah. Like, that's basic, like, being a human in space, like, physical space, time, mm-hmm. which... It's so in a way, of course, like Instagram and social media and the internet, they're wonderful resources and ways to connect. But in a way, they're not real. They're, I mean, it's a virtual, they're not, we, we don't necessarily, we do the work like, like locally, like that's where change happens, you know, like in our communities slowly and like getting to know our neighbors, like we're in a really weird globalized time where we know all these people from around the world, but we don't like talk to our neighbors or know what's going on in our communities. And that's maybe hopefully will change uh, when this, with the Saturn and Aquarius, like get like actually make local changes and worry less about how we're presenting to our online whatever via our online avatars and more about what kind of humans we're being yeah yeah and like the irony of all of this is you and I met on the internet all of our friends in common we talk on the internet like you know I have met I have so many friends who I've never met in real life who who I've met because of the world wide web Al Gore's invention and I'm so grateful for that. And, you know, we're talking on obviously a Wi-Fi connection over Zoom, being able to see each other's faces on opposite sides of the country. It's just, it's just all to say that there's not, we don't live in a binary. We don't live in either or. We live in the and, as you like to call it, the liminal space of like, it's, it's all the things and it can be complex and complicated. And I think like to, to wrap, that's what Saturn return is. It's not villainize It can, and can be, it's not villainizing your old life. It's not villainizing your old belief systems. It's acknowledging that you came from them and maybe there's opportunity to change or evolve there or maybe not. And like, let's try it and see what happens. It's all an experiment, but like staying, I maybe like more flexible love that yeah Saturn return yeah as we were saying like Saturn is able to see um, both things so the future the internet the digital realm and whatever wherever we've came we came from or like you know if you're going through your first Saturn return like your childhood your adolescence um, how you came up your roots and you know what your relationship to that is like these are ongoing questions so it's not like <laughs> Saturn return and then over, but I do. Yeah. There is something about like being able to see both and look at both calmly, you know, Saturn likes us to take our time just because you do something quick doesn't, or like right away when everyone else is doing it, doesn't mean that it's like, right. And, and just, you know, like there is, we need time. We need breath. And sometimes in the digital world, we forget to breathe because uh, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a mind fuck. Ironically, we're in an era of air mm-hmm. for the next 200 years. So 
you know, <laughs> more, more breathing. Yeah, breathing, more breathing, more breathing and more time. Sweet. Thanks, Sam. It was so good to talk As to always. you. It's such a pleasure. All right. And that's it. I hope that you loved this episode with Emily. You can find her at all the links in our show notes. She's pretty easy to find on the internet, but just not on Instagram. And if you were curious about learning more about the cusp and and those coffee alternatives that I mentioned in the intro, join the cusp. It's free for the first two weeks and then it's $5 a month after that, which is super affordable. It's like a kombucha and a half. It's like one coffee. And with our discounts and our job postings and all the freebies, we just had a free event with a meditation studio, this amazing meditation and yoga and breathwork studio called Open. You get way more bang for your buck than that $5 membership. So go ahead and join. Join our Wellness Hype Beast community. Share with your friends. And yeah, when you share with your friends, you get secret prizes. So it's goodness for all. And thank you again for listening to this episode for sharing what we do with your friends and for supporting us. It really means the world and we're so happy to do it for you. If you love our business episodes, you're I think really going to be excited about the Profitable Content Creator Lab, which opens on April 19th. It's our course for building profitable, intuitive content either courses, memberships, digital products, all that good stuff. I spent a lot of time in the editorial world and making content and then bootstrapped holisticism myself, which is a content company. And I share everything that I've learned over the last few years working with small, tiny, no budgets to working with giant budgets to bootstrapping my own business and how I do that with magic and intuition and with fun. And most importantly, like how to share and change the lives of others. So if you're curious to learn a little bit more about that, make sure you're on the email list for Holisticism. And you can download the Content Creation Station, which is where you can get all the juicy goods about how to start making your own content. That's for free at the link in our bio. And if you download that, you'll definitely hear about PCCL. So if it's something that you're curious to learn more about, then grab that Content Creation Station. All right. I think that's all that I have for you this week. I love you. You're the best. You're the best ever. I wish you all the blessings. I wish you just a joyful, peaceful week that goes exactly how you planned and then 10 times better. All right. Have a good rest of your time. (laughs) I was going to say day, but you could be listening to this at night. And I'll see you on the internet. Bye.